Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. when things are going wrong against you you don't get the breaks of the ball Cooper in with Stewart he didn't really know where the ball was but he got the break and as you say it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time knowing that really all you got to do is crack it into the back of the net Hello and welcome to the latest Here We Go podcast. On this week's show, we'll be taking a look at some of the themes that came out of Friday's night, Friday night's comfortable win over Hibs. We'll maybe take a quick look uh, towards the first fixture back after the international break. And then we'll be discussing our exclusive survey of Don's fans um, and crowning who their favourite ever, ever AFC goalkeeper is. Um, joining myself and Richard tonight uh, to gossip about goalies, chat about con- con- custodians, Separate the Jamies from the gyms is Martin Stone. Uh, Martin's written a series of blog, AFC blogs on his unmodern, unmodern man site, including an ongoing series of interviews with the Gothenburg team. Martin, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks, Martin. Thanks for having me on. I'm just uh, recently recovered for a bit of coronavirus, so uh, yeah, glad to be <laughs> glad to be over that and uh, back uh, back speaking straight about football again. Well, that's that's exactly what me and Richard do every week. So um, you're mo- you're more than welcome here. So we'll get straight into it. We're going to talk about a little bit about the the win on Friday night against Hibs. Um, now, Richard, one of the things that came out of the game, um, looking at looking at it, was um, the performance of Scott Wright. Uh, we've spoken many times on here about saying how he needs a run of games. You know, um, um, he needs when he plays, he needs to take his chance. Um, but he's and he's had lots of opportunities this season, um, and I think you know he's finally we're finally seeing the real best of him, aren't we? Well, if you look back previously, the most matches that Scott had played in consecutively was actually five. Um, now, though, he's featured in every game this season apart from the first one. So we're currently 15 and counting, which is, a, which is a massive leap forward for him. But the question mark has also been, can he really contribute in terms of end product on a regular basis? The early season signs were, were good. The goal against Livingston, very smartly taken. Uh, a very nice assist for Ross McCrory's goal against Kilmarnock and against the, the team from the Faroe Isles, Unovic, he, he really ran right in that game. But lately, he has been a bit more peripheral, which is probably one of the reasons he didn't start versus Celtic in that league game. But the impact he made coming off the bench there was the sort of performance that made him undroppable, at least for the next few games, and that's what's happened. And obviously a finish like the one on Friday helps cement that position again for another few weeks and just buys him time and gives him, uh, you know, gives the manager more confidence in him. So, yeah, the end product is absolutely key, particularly in the role he's playing now. You know, it, it, it's no longer quite enough just to, to look quite pretty in the ball, nutmeg a few other guys, a nice pirouette or two, which will feature in an end of season highlights reel. It's about contributing to victories. It's about adding goals and assists to his game on a more regular basis. 
Yeah, I mean, Martin, I mean, a few games back, on it was on Red TV, uh, Joe Harper said that he spoke, he's actually spoken to Scott Wright you know, and told him that goals will come um, if you just know, if he's just patient. Um, and it was, it, was, I know it, was a, it was a good finish by him on Friday. Something that I think has been levelled at him in the past is um, a bit, maybe questions about his work rate. Um, in previous seasons when he's played, um, perhaps he could have been accused of letting games pass him by. I think this formation that we're playing now really suits him, as opposed to him maybe being out wide. Um, he's, he's, he's doing really well now that he's perhaps more supporting a striker. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, anybody that uh, follows me on Twitter will know I'm a, a fully paid-up member of the, the Scott Wright fan club. Um, I've, I've thought he was a great player since he since he broke onto the scene. He's um, you know he's the type of guy that he tries things and they don't always come off, um, and he gets a bit of you know criticism for that. People kind of accusing him of giving the ball away too cheaply, but. Yeah, I think a big part of it is what you're saying there. You know, he's he's looking he's looking unbelievable this season, unplayable at times in that in that more central role. Um, and you know, that's that's just the way it is for some players. You look you look at the likes of you know James Madison and, and Ryan Christie. You kind of you know you'll accept that they're going to do a bit less tracking back, and you know that you need to you know give them that kind of central role and let them be creative because you know that's the type of player they are. You get the payoff for them maybe not doing so much on the defensive side with what they can offer going forward. And you know I think Wright's definitely in that mould as well. He's uh, as I say he tries things that other players just just wouldn't try, and they don't always come off. But when they do, you know it's it's brilliant. More more power to him. I think he's he's having an amazing season. Um, I think the understanding him and Ryan Hedges have got is has really been key to, to how we've played this season. Um, they seem to bring the the best out of each other. And uh, yeah, I think he's he can only go on and and, and get even better from here. I see he's. Um, Put talks of his, uh, his new contract on hold for the time being, but um, I'm hoping that's just a, a formality and we can we can get him tied down because if he if he keeps playing the way he's playing at the moment, I'm sure there'll be more clubs sniffing around him very soon. I just want to come in on that work rate point because um, you know I don't think that he's getting this run of games now because McInnes is suddenly deciding that he can you know he can let a guy. Go just because of what else he brings to a team. I think it is because we are seeing more of a work rate out of him, and maybe it is because he's more central and he's not, you know, he's got someone else in the centre of that pitch usually playing up alongside him. In the case of Friday night, was Ryan Hedges who can who can help press guys, and he's got less of an area of the pitch to work with. But uh, um, you know, I think both he and Hedges contributed critically to that sort of high press which was really how we got our two goals on Friday night being able to press Hibs high at the pitch and also being able to take advantage of it um, I mean if you look at both goals obviously they stem from Hibs errors and they stem from a high press but we still had a fair bit to do particularly with the first I mean there's four passes uh, that uh, that happened before um, Scott Wright puts the ball into the back of the net so um, it wasn't purely down to Hibbs' mistakes that we scored those goals. So no, I, I think that it has been a weakness and you're never going to get that far in a Derek McInnes team if you, if you don't contribute to the overall defensive effort of the team. So it, it's not just that he is providing more output in terms of goals and uh, assists, but I also believe that you know the penny has dropped a little bit in terms of, in terms of what he can do without the ball as well. Yeah, he's definitely been he's definitely been critical to that to that high press as you say. I can think of you know four or five occasions in the past few games off the top of my head that he's 
he's put defenders under pressure and, and robbed them of the ball and either, you know, set up a goal or, or set up a, a great opportunity. So, yeah, him, him and, and Hedges and, you know, a few others, Watkins, before he got his injury as well, were are, are kind of key to that that press, you know, really putting putting defenders under pressure and, and forcing them into mistakes. So, yeah, he's got to, be, he's got to take great credit for, for adding that side to his game as well. I think when it comes to talking about his contract, um, there is always that worry because he's uh, obviously had a contract in June that he could that he could go for no fee next summer. But he was featuring fairly regularly last season as well prior to his injury. Now I hope that there would be an understanding from Scott that he's been in and around the first team squad for a long, long time. But he was he was looking like he was going to be a more regular feature in the first team last year as well as this year. And I also wonder if he has played consistently well for long enough to get a sort of move that really makes sense for him at this point. You know, if he's getting first-team football pretty much every game here now, which he is now in a position, and there is a first-team place available for him if he keeps pushing and he keeps working, where is he going to go? Is he really, at this point, based on what he's done to date, is he really going to get a championship club down south coming in for him? I'm not so sure. And certainly I can't see that he's going to get any better offers up in Scotland. No, no, I would agree with you there. I think he's only he's only 23 um, as well. So, you know, he's he's got time. He can sign a new contract, have another, you know, couple of years here, hopefully playing at the level he's been playing at and, and really earn himself a, a decent move off the back of that. So, no, I, I, I don't... I don't think there's anything to worry about in that contract stalling. Uh, as I say, I hope it, hopefully it is just a, a formality and it'll, it'll be tied up soon enough. When players, important players get to this point of uh, running their contract down, eight, nine months left, fans get panicky and fans can start having a go at the club. But you know, with them being out last season, I think it's hard to say that the club should have really been focusing on trying to re-sign them last season. And it was difficult to, to imagine the sort of impact he's made based on what we've seen in, up until this point. Even his uh, greatest fans would have to say that he has not consistently contributed to the team as he is doing now. We also saw a fantastic goal on Friday from Sam Cosgrove. He had one clear chance. He scored one goal. Martin, after the, the game at Hamden where um, Sam Cosgrove got a lot of criticism, um, do you think that was too harsh? I mean, that, that was probably one of the ones that was criticising him <laughs> uh, in the immediate aftermath of the game. Probably more out of, just out of frustration at the result more than anything. It was, it was a tough one um, for him to come back into after being out for so long. You know, coming into that system where he's expected to, to contribute to the high press and, you know, be, be really mobile and, and putting defenders under pressure, which isn't really... A part of his game anyway So Yeah In hindsight You wonder if McInnes Would have Would have thrown him in Given Given another chance If he'd You know Maybe would have eased him back in um, Rather than putting him Straight in there um, I think there's, there's, It still Probably remains to be seen A wee bit Whether Or how he's going to fit into the The system that we've been Playing this season um, It's obviously A totally different dynamic Having Him in a side Versus You know The likes of Watkins Or or somebody else up front. Um, he isn't as mobile. Um, you know, he's not a, he's, he's not an out and out target man who just you know is just there to hold hold things up. He, he has got some legs on him, but yeah, I I, th- I think it's interesting to see how that's gonna gonna pan out. Whether we will have to to adapt a wee bit with him in the side, or whether he can you know pl- 
kind of just slot straight in there and and we can keep on playing the the system that we've been playing. But you know, you see that goal on on Friday night. It's 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 not it's not it's not a type of finish you'd expect from a from, you know from Cosgrove really it's uh, it's a top class finish and um, you know he, he keeps scoring goals like that you you can't leave him out of the side you know you need to you need to make the, the system work for him rather than rather than the other way around so yeah it's an interesting one um, but it's I, I guess we've got options as well you know that's the thing um, Edmondson's there as well he offers a slightly different option again so. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I guess it's it's nice to have the the options and in, in different ways of playing depending on depending on the opposition. Just going back to to the finish on Friday, I, I know we spoke about it in the debrief, Martin, but uh, we talked a little bit there about how maybe his last touch means that he has to improvise a bit on the finish. Well, I'm actually having looked at it again, not so sure because I think he knows that the defender is coming on to his right, so. Normal circumstances, he might have tried to curl it round the keeper with his right, but then there's a risk that the defender gets a block there if he if he curls it to that side. So, it it was either a brilliant bit of improvisation or a really smart bit of thinking to finish it the way he did. Either way, it was a it was a top class finish. I think what you were saying there, Martin, as well is like Sam. No, he isn't an out and out target man. You're right to say that. And with Marley Watkins obviously being injured, possibly not going to be back for us at all. Where do you stand on this false nine versus target man debate? I mean, do you think Cosgrove is is the guy that can fill that role, or are we going to? Or should we be looking at Edmondson, or dare I suggest Curtis Main? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, he's you know Sam's progressed massively since he since he joined us. He's he's probably you know he's gone from a out and out target man to to something a bit different. Would be asking him to probably you know progress and, and change his game again if we wanted him to, to kind of really fulfil that false nine. Uh, position, um, but yeah, you know the ways the ways managed that progression and 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 the time that he's been here, you you know you wouldn't put it past him to be able to to adapt his his game to do that. Um, yeah, it's a it's a tough one. A bit of coaching, I think he could probably get there, but maybe you know maybe we we just modify the system a wee bit so it's you know. It's less of a, a a false nine and you know m- more of a kind of focal point because we we did lack that at times as well with with Watkins up front as much as the high press was good and we were you know we were kind of creating more chances and looking a bit more fluid we still lacked that that out and out finisher so yeah yeah, yeah I guess you've got to strike the the balance somewhere as I said Edmondson's a an option as well um, as for Curtis Men well. We'll, we'll leave that, I think, for now. You were right to say that Sam Cosgrove certainly isn't a traditional target man. He's never really been used as that for Aberdeen. A lot of people people will take umbrage at that statement because you know a lot of people rightly say we've played it long to him a lot, but I don't think that was ever design. I think that was you know a failure of the ability to move through the phases of the uh, pitch and move the ball up the pitch in a controlled fashion, which we've been much better at doing this season. I think it was a, a failure of that further down the pitch which meant that we went long to Sam Cosgrove a lot yeah it's more it's more about being that focal point it's more about being able to collect the ball in lay it off sensibly also do your running and, and do your closing down which I think he does adequately not brilliantly in terms of being in actual threat in the opposition penalty box in terms of being a, a scorer of chances like the one we saw on Friday I don't think there's anybody else that we've got at the club, whether injured or fit, to who can be that in the way that Sam Cosgrove can be that. I think anybody else, whether it be 
um, Edmondson or whether it be main or obvious um, drops in quality and I think Marley Watkins is a, a different kind of player who is probably actually going to be more at home in a position slightly behind Sam Cosgrove or I think he did very well uh, playing as that sort of false number nine although you know the lack of goals clearly was uh, was there for everyone to see so um, so no I, I completely agree that he, he's not a, a night-to-night target man um, and that he could I think he still has a bit more to learn about how to fit in the, the current system which is obviously a different system that he's uh, you know, been dropped into compared to the one he'd been used to for the last couple of years so it will take time for him to adapt and he will be rusty and there was definitely quite a bit of that on show both in the Celtic game and the Hibs game because one aspect of his game which he had got a lot better at before he was even scoring goals and that took a long time was actually holding up the ball and getting us up the pitch and, and um, it, that was an area in which he struggled on Friday night definitely yeah, do you, I mean, do you guys think we'll see Watkins in a, in a Don shirt again? His, his injury kind of obviously rules him out up until he'd, he'd be due to go back to back down south. Do you think there's a chance we'll we'll see him back maybe on loan or even on a permanent? I think there's every chance that we that we'll try and get him in on loan again. As far as a permanent deal goes, um, that'll be up to whether the player's going to accept a, a big, big drop in wages from what he'll no mm-hmm. doubt be on down there. Because it's not as if he went to Bristol direct from Cali Thistle. You know, he moved from Norwich to Bristol, I think it was a couple of million pounds he moved for as well. So he'll be in a substantial wedge down there. And it's about, you know, what his agent can drum up down south, I guess, compared to, you know, the prospect of playing back up here in an environment he knows he can thrive in and knows he can do well in. And it might also depend on, you know, where we end up the season in. You know, if he knows he's got guaranteed European group stage football next season, that's going to be a bigger draw than it might otherwise have been. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him back again if if, if we can. Um, it obviously might depend on what happens with, with Cosgrove. Um, you know, if he if he's, he's back in the side regularly and scoring goals again, I'm sure the the bids that were were coming for him in the summer will, will materialise again in, in January. I could I could see him being on the move. Then then Watkins becomes an option, and maybe others as well. Uh, would probably still be short of a a starting striker at that point. I would I would imagine. Yeah, and obviously the end of uh, this uh, this season brings you a bit more flexibility. Guys like Curtis Main are going to be out of contract as well, so. Might be a stretch in any budget to say it's going to be Watkins and one other sort of regular starter that uh, might be able to come in up front. But, you know, maybe by then Scott Wright has absolutely cemented his place in the team and Ryan Hedges has done done the same and uh, maybe they are contributing goals on a more regular basis and maybe Marley Watkins will be the player that can actually perfectly fit that uh, that setup. Um, there's a lot to play out between now and then, but uh, but no, I'd, I would I would not be surprised if we get Marley Watkins on on loan again from from January to the end of the season at least. But what happens after that is is anybody's guess. And so of course we find ourselves in the in the midst of an international break. Once Andy Considine has finished leading Scotland to glory, we have a trip to Ibrox. We'll be I think we'll be an, we'll be a very interesting one, Richard. I mean we're we're obviously with the terms of the agreement with the loan deal. Uh, Ross McCrory is going to be missing. He doesn't. He's unable to play. Question marks over Johnny Hayes. Obviously, we've just mentioned Marley Watkins as well. Um, so it's you know, and I know I know there's obviously two weeks to go, go until then. Anything can happen in, in that time. 
do you reckon? I mean, we were told three weeks, three weeks around Johnny Hayes, so the potential is that he might be able to make it. And I think we really need him to make it because we're going to be missing some important players. Um, we knew about McCrory. That's obviously, you know, there's nothing really that can be done about that. I know that when we sold Scott McKenna, a lot of people were saying, well, we should go out and make the uh, McCrory deal permanent now because that would be a benefit to us. Yeah, I, I completely agree, except I very much doubt that it would have been in the interests of the club currently working out of Ibrox to uh, change the terms of that deal. I think it, 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 that deal currently now suits them perfectly. You're going to be without him, and, and more importantly as well, in, in terms of how we line up in the midfield, you know, Dylan McGeer hasn't played that much this season, but he would have been contender number one to, to just step in to that midfield to uh, to replace Ross McCurry and he's going to be out as well. So you know, suddenly we talk about you know we've talked about having a deep squad and a good squad, but with uh, McCurry out, McGeoch out, even Dean Campbell is still uh, injured. So you are really looking at Funzu Ojo to step in. Obviously, if Johnny Hayes is fit, that gives you the option. Hayes could play um, sort of furthest forward of a three in midfield. That could work quite well, especially if you if you. Contemplating going to a back four, which I think would be very wise, actually, for the game at Ibrox. We had the debate about what we did at Hamden and whether it was a gamble, and obviously we lost that gamble, whether it was a gamble to, to set up 3-4-3 as we did. I'm not sure McInnes will make the same, well, take the same gamble again, if you will. Not make the same mistake, but take the same gamble again. I, I suspect we'll go back to a much more containing shape a shape that has proved it can be successful at Ibrox before yeah and you know I'd, I'd probably normally I'd be one of the ones shouting from uh, to go you know go at them and, and have a go but the way Rangers have been playing recently you know uh, domestically and in Europe uh, I, th- I think it would be it would be suicidal to go down there and, and, and try to take the game to them with you know so many key players missing um, as much as we've been Singing Scott Wright's praises earlier on, McCrory's been, you know, totally instrumental this season. I think, despite him being played here, there, and everywhere, when he's when he's been played in the middle of the park, I think he's been, you know, probably Player of the Year so far. Really instrumental to that high press again. Um, you know, a central midfielder that's kind of willing to win the the ball a lot higher up the park than than we've been used to. So. It's a big, big blow not having him available, and then as you said, Richard, the other kind of injuries that we've got in centre mid there as well. Uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be difficult. It might be a it might be a long afternoon. Um, I can't see us going three four three. Um, I think we'd be just leaving ourselves far too wide open. So yeah, it might be a it might be a five at the back. It might be a four five one or, or something along those lines, and um, you know, be playing for be playing off the off the scraps type of thing. But if you know, if if that gets us a draw or a or a narrow win, then I'll then I'll take it this time. Yeah, you've also got to think about you know the way they play and how they focus a lot of the attack down down their uh, wide positions with the overlapping fullbacks as well. So so just to go in with a shape that kind of has. One player out wide each side it would not be would not be sensible. So and and I think the available personnel are sort of pointing you more towards a, a four as well. Um, possibly you might 
even have to think about, and this is purely based on the available personnel, you might even have to think about dropping Tommy Hoban into a sort of defensive midfield position, which we have seen. He did play that away from home against Burnley, and he did that pretty well. So, um, you know, that it might sound illogical to do that because he's done very well at centre-half, but again, just with the available personnel we've got, that's another potential option to, to solve that problem, particularly if Johnny Hayes doesn't make it. Of course, if we play four at the back, um, Martin, um, I'll come to you on this. This is our, our semi-regular feature on the show. Um, if we play four at the back, then there's a position there for a right-back um, and perhaps a Venezuelan international right-back. Um, what's your take on Ronnie Watch, as we've called it? It's just bizarre, isn't it? It's uh, very, very strange. <laughs> He's not even featuring on the on the bench a lot of the time. You know, if the rumoured fees to be believed, the whole thing's really, really strange. Is it, you know, is it, is it all part of an elaborate kind of deal with Atlanta? To, you know, to loan him over there at some point, possibly. Um, if that's the case, then I would have hoped that they'd stumped up for some of the fee as well. Because if not, then it's uh, it's probably the worst bit of business that we've that we've ever done, and that's you know some stiff competition in there as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, in the little opportunities that he's he's had, he hasn't been spectacular, but he's not been terrible either. So you do wonder why why he's not featuring at all. I mean, Logan's clearly kind of coming to the end of his time here. For him to be, you know, coming off a bench or or playing ahead of him just seems seems really strange. But yeah, it's it doesn't look as though it's changing anytime soon. Um, I'd be surprised if we if we saw him <laughs> any anytime soon in a red shirt. And as I say, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up heading over to to Atlanta at some point in the future, and and we'll never hear of him again. Well, Richard um, Martin obviously mentions Logan. There. Logan obviously has the, he does have the option of a one year deal, uh, one year extension at the end of this season. Um, but I would, you know, we would assume that's no, that would be triggered on appearances of which he hasn't made very many. You would think that Hernandez would perhaps be the be the option that would be used if we go with a four and if we go with an actual right back. As as Martin points out, it, she's the one getting minutes at the moment. But even then, Shea Logan isn't getting very many many minutes at all, particularly since we we changed shape. She started in Portugal, away from home against Sporting Lisbon. In a, in a you know in a, in a change that made a bit of sense at the time you know going with a sort of modified three five two and having a, a slightly more defensive minded uh, wing back on the right hand side rather than Matty Kennedy, uh, but since then uh, he got five minutes on on Friday night, which again might be an indicator to the fact that he's maybe thinking about playing Logan next week. That's that's possible. That was his first five minutes since the. Since the game in Lisbon, so he's not been getting a look in either. But obviously, Ronnie Hernandez, you know, we have not seen actually play any minutes for. Well, he got seven minutes up in uh, up in Dingwall. Uh, other than that, it's the ninety minutes on the opening day and the first half in Perth, and that's been it. And again, as Martin says, some weeks he's not even making the squad, which you know, understandable. You don't need two right backs in the squad there. The the people that we've been putting there rather than play Shea Logan. Or Ronnie Hernandez and trying them out as a right wing back. You know, obviously Matty Kennedy's started the, the season there, and I think against weaker opponents at home that makes perfect sense. But you know, we've had Ross McCurry go right wing back. We've had Ryan Hedges go right wing back. We had Niall McGinn play right wing back for a while. That wasn't terribly successful. And uh, Conor McLennan is is the one 
recently, and, and none of them have disgraced themselves, although McGinn wasn't a hugely successful uh, 45 minutes. But um, it, it seems weird that you know we're just not really going to give Hernandez or, or Logan a go in that sort of right wing back position. Still, I'm sure we'll talk about this uh, quite a few more times before the end of the season, Martin. So you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah the, the only other thing I would say on that is he's, he's, he probably has been a, a, a victim of this change in formation uh, this season. I think if we'd been playing a, a four at the back, he would have surely featured more often at, at right back. In the vast majority of the games that we play this three four three, the you know the two wing backs, full backs, whatever you want to call them, um, can afford to be kind of. You know, wingers pretty much because we're we're not coming under too much defensive pressure, uh, and and you want those kind of two wide players to be more attacking and more comfortable going forward. So you know, it's it's okay to have the likes of Hedges and McLean and, and and those guys, whereas you know Logan and, and Hernandez might might not be as comfortable going forward. So I I'm, I'm sure that's got a big part. Of it. I'm sure we would have seen more of him, but yeah, if we're going to continue to play this three four three. I don't. Is our need for you know Logan and Hernandez in in the squad? Prob- probably not. I would say. And so then, of course, we're going to bring you to our our featured topic on the show this week, which is the top goalkeepers. We gave you a list of um, a short list of ten. Uh, we put it up on Twitter and up on the Facebook to see if you can you can whittle it down uh, to your to your from one to ten. Um, I'll just run through the list quickly. Um, the ten options we gave you: we gave you Arthur King, Harry Blackwell, uh, Steve Smith, uh, George Johnson. Fred Martin, John Ogston, Bobby Clark, Ernie McGar, and then we also had more familiar, perhaps more familiar names to you all: Jim Layton, Theo Snelders, Peter Keir, Jamie Langfield, and uh, the current custodian Joe Lewis. Richard, I'll let you, um, I'll let you do the big unveil at the end. Um, so we're going to chat about our list. So Martin, um, you're our guest this week, so you'll have the honour of going first. Could you give us your top five? I can, yeah. So take a fair bit of. Deciding on this actually, um, so number five uh, started with Joe Lewis. Um, Ability-wise, for me, he's the best since since Snelders. Anyway, um, you know, composed, calm, no major flaws in his game. I don't think. I suppose the only black mark against him is that he hasn't won a trophy up to now. But um, you know, safe pair of hands and a big a big reason. You know why we've been so. Consistent over the past few seasons, um, yeah, uh, uh, an all-round good keeper. Uh, number four, um, don't know much about him apart from what I've read on uh, the AFC Heritage site and a few other places. But um, I've gone with Fred Martin, um, mainly because he won a, a league title with us. To be honest, I mean, I think any player that uh, does that for the Dons falls into the Falls into the legend category anyway, um, but yeah, as, as far as I've read on uh, Fred, he was he was here for a good number of years. I think fourteen years he was with the Dons, um, won six Scotland caps during that time. As I say, won the league as well uh, back in the fifties. So yeah, I think deserving of a place in the in the Hall of Fame for that. And then the top three, I'm guessing, will probably be pretty similar to most folks' top threes. Maybe just the, the order will be will be slightly different. Um, so number three, I've gone Bobby Clark, um, mainly for longevity. Again, um, you know the, the amount of years he was with the Dons. Um, he had a few challengers to 
to that number one spot during that time, but managed to to see most of them off. Um, and he's you know he's, he's kind of been involved in various other capacities with the Dons as well. Um, listened to him on on Red TV a few times. Comes across as a as a good guy as well, the type of guy you'd probably like to go for a pint with. So yeah, well deserved for for him at uh, at number three. And then the top two was yeah, it was it was tough to decide the, the order of those two. Obviously Jim Layton and, and Theo Snelders. Um ability wise, I think Snelders is probably the better keeper to be honest. Um but purely on the basis of who the ended up going to after they left the Dons, I had to go <laughs> Snelders number two and, and Layton number one. And to be fair to, to Jim he's you know, he won it all with the Dons. He was he was there, you know, for for all the glory years, and probably, you know, just about sneaks that that number one spot. But you know, Snelders was a was an unbelievable keeper as well. And had he hadn't gone to, to Rangers afterwards, he may have just sneaked into that number one spot. But um, so yeah, th- that's my top five: number one Leighton, number two Snelders, three Bobby Clark, four Fred Martin, and five Joe Lewis. Now we did expect some, uh, we even put in the notes when we were preparing this podcast that we did expect some significant overlap. Significant overlap in the way that my top five is exactly the same as yours, Martin. Um, yeah, are, are there, I mean, there's very little to what I can add. You could say there as well. I mean, Fred Martin was the one that I think people might pick might pick out and so maybe question because you know none of the three of us have seen him play. The fact that you know he won the won the league and won the league cup for us with us, sorry, um, and he was one of the one of the inaugural inductees into the Hall of Fame. Um, which for Aberdeen, I think sometimes we forget that you know, no, it isn't all about Gothenburg. Um, there was a guy who you know who was a, a one club man, three hundred games for Aberdeen. Um, so yeah, I mean, I that was the one that I think maybe I was expecting. Maybe you guys wouldn't have had as well, but yeah, I, I mean, my top five is exactly the same as yours. Um, so uh, Richard, what can come to you? Uh, I, I suspect it won't be too much different, but no, it's not going to be too much different, Martin. Um, I've got to say that I, I tried not to limit myself just to keepers I'd seen. It's very difficult, obviously, to be objective about this, and it's actually difficult to be objective anyway because I, I do think goalkeeping is one part of the pitch where standards have improved enormously over the past uh, 30, 40 years even in football. I think um, some of the keepers that were lauded back in the day wouldn't have a chance of being able to play at the top level uh, nowadays. You know, someone like, you know, whenever the footage you see of Alan Ruff, can you can you really see that, you know, he, he would be a top level keeper these days? Even Jim Layton, who obviously had uh, struggles with his... Uh, with his kicking when towards the end of his career when the back pass law was uh, was in play but then again you have to accept that obviously they would have developed as young goalkeepers with more of an emphasis on being able to play with the ball at their feet but I do think it's an area where uh, where the game has improved greatly over the past 40-50 years but I tried not to have a kind of recency bias and I tried to you know look at what these guys actually did with the Dons so number five I've um I've gone with George Johnson. George was the goalkeeper for the Dons between 1937 and um, sort of late 40s, early 50s. So um, he was a keeper who actually played in our first Scottish Cup final in 1937. But he would have also had five of probably the peak years of his career taken away from him because of uh, the war. But he was still 
in the top team of Pataudry after the war for when we won our very first ever major trophy, the 1947 Scottish Cup final. And um, certainly reports at the time and everyone who, who saw him at the time said that he was a, he, he was a fine goalkeeper. So uh, I've gone for him at number five. Number four, which I think is maybe the same place you boys have put him, I've put Fred Martin. Uh, beyond what you've said already, he was uh, Scotland's first ever goalkeeper at a World Cup Finals, playing in 1954. It didn't go so well for him, because in his second game, I think he lost seven goals to Uruguay. So, um, not brilliantly. In fact, I think six caps in total, and I think in the six games that he played for Scotland, he conceded 20 goals. We're talking about a period in the game where a lot of goals were scored, obviously, but still not a fantastic record. You know, a history maker for Aberdeen, and obviously, as has been said, uh, a league title winner from that uh, from that 1954-1955 side. And number three, and this is partly informed by the fact that his last couple of years at Pataudry weren't up to the same standard as the first few years were. And also, let's be honest, maybe partly informed by where he went to as well. But I've gone with Theo Snaldos at number three. And then the choice between the top two, Bobby Clark at number two and uh, Jim Layton at number one. But our opinions don't matter at all. What matters is, of course, the opinions of the supporters. So we put this out to you. There was a shortlist of 13 uh, Martin <laughs> Lock 10 um, So I'm going to run through In best Pick of the pox fashion The Top 10 for you As voted for By the Dons Support So At number 10 We've got Harry Blackwell At number 9 It's Ernie McGar Ernie was a goalkeeper Who uh, managed to oust Bobby Clark From the Dons team In the late 60s And won a couple Of Scotland Caps for his trouble. And number eight, it's Jamie Langfield. Jamie made over 300 appearances for the club and has over 100 clean sheets and was obviously the goalkeeper in the League Cup final success of 2014. At number seven, it's George Johnson. And number six, it's Danish international Peter Keir. And number five, it's Fred Martin. At number four, it's Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis um, did pretty well in this poll as a whole. A third of voters placed him either third or second. Number three in the countdown for the top Dons keepers of all time, it's Bobby Clark. Number two, it's Theo Snowders. And at number two, and at number one, it's Jim Layton. Jim Layton is number one with a huge 60% of votes putting him at number one. In fact, every single vote bar one had him in the top three. So Jim Layton was a very surprisingly clear winner, actually. I thought it would be much closer between between Jim and Theo. But yeah, Jim Layton, clear winner of this this poll. 63% of votes put him as number one uh, and was rarely seen outside the top three. A, wor- a worthy winner, I think, there. Did we have any, do you have any complaints about that, Richard or Martin? 
No, I'm just uh, wondering who whoever voted Jim out of the top three, <laughs> who, their, who their top three was. It's uh, yeah, I, I'm surprised he wasn't in everybody's either first or second uh, places. But uh, no, I think fairly fairly uh, consistent with, with what we had. I think with Jim, you've got that sort of second period, don't you? You've got that period between ninety. 90- 97 and 2000 where you know things weren't going as well on the pitch and he was obviously much older uh, he still performed admirably but um, he, you know it was nothing like the first time around and I suppose there's also that element of being in goals for Aberdeen was obviously a lot easier if you had Willie Miller and Alex McLeish in front of you compared to well you know some of the defenders that we know that Peter Keir or, or Jamie Langfield or even Joe Lewis had had in front of him so you've got to kind of factor that into your into your discussions as well I've got to say that um, Jamie Langfield made number eight in that list and you know that's he had plenty of people putting him top five there was a couple putting number one but they were weeded out from the voting I can assure you um, <laughs> but it has to be said that the the most common Place for him was it was bottom bottom of the list uh, the short list of thirteen so you know whereas uh, you know I think a lot of people would place Jamie fairly in that list uh, there's a lot of residual hatred out there for him unfortunately and you know I, I can't be too hypocritical I remember at the end of the remember that Motherwell game where they came up here and won to finish second and um, yeah. Jamie gets balked off the ball in the last minute. I did have a pretty epic meltdown when that uh, when that went in at, at him and his sort of ten years of mediocrity that he that he brought to us. But you know, equally, I was there that night in April. I was uh, there when you know his save from the penalty spot helped us win in 2014. I was there when he had that great game at Tannadice uh, at the end of. Um, that same season as well, the three-one win, um, and he—he I mean, he was very good that night. And he would have nights where he was excellent, but he would also have games where he would throw in a, a, a hideous mistake. But that's a lot of the goalkeepers, isn't it? Every one of these people that we've mentioned have made horrendous mistakes that have led directly to goals. The problem about Jamie and indeed everyone from 2010 onwards is that every single one of those are able to be immediately recalled. We can pull up the video and show you, you know, and, and nobody is slow to do that either. But other than that, yeah, I was a little bit surprised. I, I genuinely thought it would be a bit closer between between Snowders and, and Leighton at the top. Yeah, as always, Jim Leighton is number one. That's your podcast for this week. We'll be off back after the international break. And of course, thanks to our guest Martin Stone. Um, if you are you have you been working on any blogs or anything? What have you got coming up? Uh, I haven't really, to be honest. No, I've done I've done a few um, a few small ones uh, over the past few months that I've put up. But um, unfortunately, the the Gothenburg project stuff's kind of been halted with the the whole coronavirus. Not being able to to, to get up to, to Aberdeen and get around and, and speak to to the various uh, to the various ex players. So. Hopefully, um, yeah, we'll, we'll be able to, to get that resumed once once things get back to some type of normality. But uh, it's uh, as always, you can you can find the stuff I've done in the past on uh, on modernman.net anyway. Um, so yeah, get head along there and uh, hopefully you find find something to keep you going. Good stuff. Okay, and we'll be back. Like I said, we'll be back after the national break with our next podcast. So uh, until then, uh, come on, Andy Considine, and come on, you Reds. 